This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. There was a song that we sung this morning. Um, if, if we could maybe get the lyrics to it, um, I'll give you a minute, but it was that new one, I'm No Victim. Right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah. That was a good song right there. This morning, before they put that up there, just uh, the Lord had put a word on my heart just to, just to step back into talking about identity this morning. It's one of my favorite topics because I really feel like we as believers, we as children of God, um, so often really don't know who we are and how much that affects us, how much that impacts us not knowing who we are in Christ. And, and so I'm going to probably... Uh, throw some things out there this morning that are going to be really fun. Some of them may be really hard to chew on, but I'm going to put them out there anyways because I feel like God's breathing on it this morning. As they were singing their set list, they're like, all of them were on identity. I was like, wow, all these songs, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God, no longer a victim, you know, all these songs about identity. But if we have that song, uh, the victim, we won't call it the victim song, the, uh, the, the, uh, the not a victim song. Um, says, <laughs> says, I am no victim. I live with a vision. I'm covered by the force of love. Covered in my Savior's blood. Go to the next one if you would. I am no orphan. Oh. Come on, say I'm no orphan. I'm not a poor man. The kingdom's now become my own, and with the king, I found a home. Wow. And then it got to that piece about he's not simply restoring, not simply reviving. That's powerful. I think some people don't understand that. He wants to do... He wants to do more than just bring the dead back to life. He wants to give them a good and prosperous life. And this song is not about, you know, just, you know, it was Paul that said, the Apostle Paul that said, we need to get past the elementary things like raising the dead. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me really funny this morning. (laughs) Those are the basic things. He said there's more. It's not simply reviving. Reviving's a piece of it, but it's, it's the beginning. We get revived so he can put you on a track to advance the kingdom and live a life filled with him. It's more than that. And this piece on, this piece on identity is huge, and I'm just going to kind of just throw some thoughts at you this morning, try to, try to move this along somewhat quickly, but I think it's a big deal that we understand right off the top how good God is. I think the foundation for us to understand who we are is to understand how good he is. When we read the Bible, we we see these these passages all the time that, and I don't have time to talk about covenants and stuff this morning. I've thrown it around, but I'm going to kind of skip through it. But the Bible is written in the context of these different covenants. If I ever get a chance to really talk about it, it answers the question why people say, well, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, except he was, you know, like killing people in the Old Testament. 
and how is it that he's filled with grace and love in the New Testament? One of those questions is like, whoa, people are like, that's a tough one. And But the thing is, is that if you don't understand how God works through covenants, you get really confused because you think he's a good dad, except for he could just wipe the whole planet clean at any moment because we're reading it out of context. And I can talk about that a little bit more another week, but sometimes we see these things in the Old Testament. I'm going to use the word Old Covenant that are pointing towards things that are still coming uh, in the New Covenant. And one of the things that uh, we saw was that in the Old Covenant that when people wanted to come and offer a sacrifice that these sinners, they would come and they would bring a lamb to the priest. Are you with me? And they wouldn't just bring any lamb. They wouldn't just go out there and grab, you know, whatever lamb in the field. They, they wanted to grab a lamb based, they wanted the, the one that was as perfect as it gets. They wanted the lamb that was spotless. And there was this, there was this parallel pointing to what was coming. That there was a lamb of God that was coming. Because there was something having to do with the sacrifice, that it had to be pure, it had to be clean, it, had, it was based on imperfections were a big deal with sacrifice. Because it actually affected forgiveness that was given. I know this is a lot, I'm probably like jumping way deeper right up front than I planned on it. But, but the sacrifice would... The, the, how, the imperfections at that point would actually impact the forgiveness that was given. So here's the thing that we have to understand. The quality of the lamb determined the grace that was going to be extended to the sinner. The quality of the lamb determined the grace that was going to be extended to the sinner. When you figure, I got goosebumps all over my butt right there. I felt it. This is huge. This concept didn't change. The Bible said in Revelation that Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the earth. That's why it's huge for us to understand how good God is. Because the revelation of the Father that you have will greatly determine your perception on who you are. Let me say that really simple. Who you think he is will determine who you think you are. But if you think he's just this mean, angry, you know, God in heaven waiting for vengeance, who can I take out? That affects who you think you are. You'll notice there's a connection between the perception of God that we have and your perception of yourself. You see, 2 Corinthians, I'm going to throw a lot out of, at you. Just, just write them down. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that it's like looking in a mirror, that we're being transformed into his image. It's as if we're looking into a mirror being transformed into his image. But what happens if the mirror you're looking at has all these smudges on it because of what you think he really looks like? It transforms you into what you think you see.
Is this too much? Okay. This went from zero to 50 way quicker than I was expecting. I think there's some hum hunger in the room. If your mirror, when 2 Corinthians talks about, it's as if looking in a mirror. If your mirror has all these smudges on it because you were taught when you were a kid that God's angry at you, smudge. You were taught that, you know, if you're really good, you may make the cut. Smudge. If you're good enough, the Father will love you and let you do ministry. Smudge. And we're looking at this mirror with all of these smudges on it. And we don't have a clear perception of who God is. But that's what we're supposed to be turning into. And we wonder why we're so confused. This is a really big deal because churches are often filled with people who don't understand the goodness of God. I, I, I've hit the point now where I just have to turn it off when I hear somebody really drilling people from a, from a harsh standpoint like God's... Because I just see such a good God who loves so well. He loves his people so well. And if we don't see that goodness, if we don't see it, it, it changes who we think we are. Because if we think God is this frustrated, tired of humanity, heavy-handed master in the sky... You'll find yourself living frustrated, giving up on the world, and have a slave mindset. If you feel like he's up there and just frustrated and done with humanity, that's when we start having people say, well, there's no hope for the world. Because they're mirroring what they think God's doing. When I hear some of the nonsense about fires in California, and that's judgment and all that, it's obviously from people that don't live in California. You won't find someone sitting in the middle of those fires saying that they're crying out for God to send the rain. But see, if we think that that's God, then it affects our heart towards them. I, 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 I want to I get us to a place where I'm going to throw a lot at you today. I want to get us to a point where the best we can, we can just try to get some filters off of how we see the Father. Some things that we've learned, we've picked up, got them in Sunday school, got them, got them all these different places in life. We've picked up these things, and because of how we think we see the Father, that's how we treat other people. And it, it can make for a pretty miserable life. Well, that went over kind of cold. Um, it can make a challenging life. Let's not use such a heavy word. <laughs> you see, we had, let's, let's back it up a little bit. We had a movement, and we had a movement called a holiness movement. And that one kind of birthed some crazy ideas. My buddy, Bill Vanderbush, he said something one time. He said, when the holiness movement came through, the one thing it was lacking most of the time was holiness and movement.
Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not tossing everything in that bucket, but there was a, there's a problem that if, here's, here's the thing, there's a problem if we begin to believe holiness is based on us. <laughs> it's, really, it's, it's really hard if we live a life thinking that what we do actually affects our holiness. Because you're going to be striving the rest of your life trying to be holy, and that is not fun. <laughs> And so these, 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 these striving mentalities came out that was, you know, if you do this, if you do that, if you do this, if you do that, you'll be holy. And 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 16 makes this interesting path. As scripture says, be holy because I'm holy. Now, when you read that and you don't understand this thing, that's a pretty big challenge. Okay, be holy like God. If your mentality is, is that holiness is based on what I do, now you have to do enough to be holy like God. Talk about feeling frustrated. Okay, uh, so I need to be holy. I'm actually supposed to be as holy as Jesus. Got it. So how's that happen? Well, maybe if I just, just don't. I just stay in the church, and I just stay with all my, my Christian friends. See, I read, I see everything through two, two, two different sides. I see this piece where the enemy has used things and twisted them to actually advance his agenda. He will use something like the topic of holiness to keep a bunch of Christians in the church. Because he doesn't want you out. So if you go out, and if you get around something bad, it's going to contaminate you. It's not New Covenant. That's the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, if something unclean touched you, you became unclean. In the New Covenant, you're supposed to touch the unclean things and make them clean. It's not, it's not something that we have to go around and fear. I want to stay holy. Here's the beautiful thing about holiness that we have to understand is that when the father looks at me, he sees his son. Okay, let's, let's, let's do something. Let's give an example. Um, Matt and Rachel, can I borrow you for one minute? And uh, AJ, you get to be God. Um, <laughs> don't let it get to your head, AJ. Um, you guys can stay there. That's fine. Okay, so um, here we got, let's see, um, Rachel, stand back a second over there, Matt, stay there, okay, God, the son, the bride, you guys. The father and the son have a pretty good relationship here. <laughs> Son's got everything the father's got. He's given everything in his kingdom to his son. He's good. He's set. The son is as holy as his, you can't get any more holy than the son of Jesus, of God. <laughs> Feeling good, aren't you? It feels good. So, <laughs> so when the father looks at his son, he sees holiness. See, the beauty of it is that here's the, here's the bride of Christ comes over and, and, and Rachel comes into relationship through the son <laughs> with the father. <laughs> And here's the thing, everything that Rachel was, everything that she carried, all of the stuff before Christ, 
Here's the beautiful thing. He's not looking at who she used to be. When he looks at her, he sees the son. And he sees them. And when he looks at her, he sees the holiness of Jesus Christ. She doesn't have to say, oh, I hope I can, oh, what do I got to do? She married in. We all married way up. That's all I'm saying. In the kingdom, we married up. You guys can sit down. When there, there's, there's, a, there's a strong misconception that, that we're, we have to do something. And I'm going to take you through a really quick journey, so hang with me, okay, of how dangerous that that can be. The, God, the enemy's been using this tactic on God's kids from literally the very beginning. So let's run with this. God, God he imagined man, right? It's the creation, right? Think about that. He imagined you. God dreamed about you before he created you. And I've said this before, your God's dream come true. I'm going to shake off some of that, that miserable mindset right off the front. You are God's dream come true. He dreamed you. He created you. You came, and you're his dream. Adam and Eve. Everybody knows the story. Genesis chapter 3. Here they are. God's created man. He's created woman. They've got complete dominion over everything. I mean, man, they are living the life. It's, it's I mean, it's good. It's good. And the enemy comes along in the form of a serpent, and what does he do? He, he begins to speak to Eve. And he does something interesting. He said, he said, I know that God told you not to eat of that tree, but here's why, right? If you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God. Am I right? This is easy. It's not a trick question. You can go, it's, he said, if you eat from the tree, some of you don't even know what to, uh-uh, I ain't saying nothing now. I don't know where you're going. <laughs> I can feel the resistance like, he set me up. Simple question. Genesis chapter 3, God created man, God created woman. In Genesis 3, the serpent comes to Eve and says that God told you not to eat of that tree, but that's because if you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God. But isn't it interesting, and write this down, Genesis chapter 1, end of ch chapter 27, God creates man... In his own. Now, wait a minute. Something's confusing here. God creates man in his image. The serpent comes to mankind. Says, if you eat from that tree, you'll become like God. Anyone noticing something here? They were already created in his image. They acted like him. They talked like him. I often think about that. What was that like? Like, he created them in his image. They're just like their dad. And here they are, just like their dad. And the enemy comes and says, well, just, just, 
I know why he doesn't want you to eat that, because your eyes will be opened. And then you'll be just like your dad. It seems, right, it seems pretty obvious now that we look back. But what was it that really, where things really went bad here? So what happens? Eve eats from the tree. The curse was introduced into the earth. What was it, though, that the enemy planted in the mind of Eve? The enemy planted in her mind that you have to obtain something by works that was already given to you by grace. This is powerful. She'd already been given by the Father. You're just like me. Genesis 1.27, you're created in my image. The enemy comes along and says, hey, if you want to be like him, you got to eat of that tree. And all of a sudden, striving began. All of a sudden, I have to do something to get something began. Are you with me? The enemy convinced Eve that she had to do something instead of just be. I want you to think of this through the filter of family. Imagine if someone comes up to my kids and begins to challenge them. See, my kids know they're, they know like, we're, there's no question in their mind. That's my dad. They think I'm absolutely amazing. I wish, don't you wish as parents you could be what your, car- your kids think you are? It's like, my dad could jump off this house, no problem. I'm like, no, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they just think you're amazing. Someone could come up and tell them, your dad's not amazing. You're, are you, you're not even, how do you even know you're his son, his daughter? My kids are going to be like, whatever. I'm his son. I'm, well, you know what? Maybe if you did this, you would be more his son or more his daughter, right? Striving. There's nothing my kids can do that would make them more my son or daughter. And there's nothing my kids could do that would make them less my son or daughter. Just remember that even the ones that aren't in relationship with the Lord are also his sons and his daughters. Jesus. Thank you, Father. We can't, we can't obtain, what's the point? We can't obtain holiness through works. It's, it's a byproduct of Christ in us. We get to be. Because he's in us, we are holy as he's holy. I want to get this because the enemy's tactic is to keep us trying, 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 try to be like God. And he can get us so wrapped up in just trying to be like him. And if we can just go back to zero right, from the, right here and just say, okay, go back to the beginning. God is good. 
because the reality is that the enemy can't take. And this is this is the enemy can't take something from me. He can't take my holiness. He doesn't have authority for any of that. You understand that he doesn't have authority. The enemy may have power, but he does not have authority in your life. You have to get this. Some people are like, oh, the enemy's just yada, yada. Don't give him more credit than he deserves. Don't. Some people, I'm like, man, you really make him sound great. Like, it's like, no, I'm not lifting him up. I don't focus on the enemy. There's one thing I've learned every week, especially being a pastor, if I focus on the enemy, I will be miserable really quickly. It is... Ugh. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It is easy. I remember Bill Johnson said one time, he's like, it only takes like 10 minutes of thinking about everything the enemy is doing in my life to go down a really dark path. And he said, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. And so I, I keep my eyes focused on the good things that the Lord is doing in my life. But we have to understand that the, the enemy has zero authority in the life of a believer. And so here's the thing. If he really wants to get you, if he really, really wants to trip you up, the best thing he can do is by just running his mouth, he can convince you that you're something other than what you really are. He can't take away who you are. But he can convince you that you're not. And that if you work hard enough, you'll obtain being a son or a daughter. God intended everything to work through the context of family. Or he wouldn't have told us to call him father. In the Lord's prayer, he taught us, he said, pray this way. Our father. Who aren't in heaven, right? God, he's our father. One of the things that I've began doing that's really helped me in my life is I look at everything through the context of family. Something happens in the church. Somebody says, how are you going to handle that? I think about it if it was my family. Because <laughs> I'll just kick people out of my family. Hello. You are a quiet group this morning. Either you got worn out by worship or you're really sucking it in or you really don't like it, but I'm going to keep going. So <laughs> just give me a few more minutes, all right? He meant for everything to be through the context of family, sons, daughters. He's your father. This changes things, man. Because God's intention, I believe this with all my heart, God's intention for believers is to be able to act like kids and live like kings. I believe that he wants us to act, I don't know where, uh, yeah, she said it during, um, Lisa said it in transition, she was going into that whole piece, I was like, oh, you're taking my sermon, shh. <laughs> but it's like the kingdom and the kids and the crown. He wants us to live like kids. He wants us to act like kids and live like kings. You're kings. You're priest. You're royalty. But you're also his kid. And people get really confused on this topic. Can I take on one more? People say, well, I thought we were just a slave. 
right? The, the slave piece. Some people really, really are connected to the slave thing. And I want to break that down because there's, there's complete validity to that in the Word of God, but I want to break it down a little bit. Because people get confused. Well, how am I a friend and a slave? Right? If you have your Bibles, flip open to John 15, 15 real quick. Let's start off with what Jesus says. Jesus says in John 15, 15, most of us know this passage, but he says, I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Everybody say, I'm a friend. I'm a friend. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. I'm going to read that again. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Now, that's Jesus. If you flip over to 2 Corinthians, we see 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. Actually, it might be the wrong scripture. <laughs> well, I don't even... That's definitely not the one. Paul says that we prove that we are servants to God by our lives. So wait a minute. If you're like me, hold on. Jesus said, I'm not a servant. I'm a, I'm a friend. Paul says, you prove that you're a servant by your life. Paul says, I am a servant. You ever read your Bible and have these questions, or is it just me? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, wait a minute. Could look like it contradicts itself, but we know that the Bible doesn't. And then there's this interesting scripture a couple chapters back. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says that for what we preach is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Wait a minute. We're servants again. Which one is it? Yes. <laughs> I love that answer. Yes. Here's the thing. He doesn't look at you as a slave. He said it. He doesn't lie. He said, you're no longer my servants. I call you friends. But see, there's this term called a bond servant. You got to get this. A bond servant says, from love, I choose to serve you. See the difference? See how important this is? That if you, here's the thing. All right. How many, every married person in this room knows if I expect to be served, if I, let's just talk about me. I'm going to talk about me and my wife right now. We're going to have a breakdown if I like, have all these expectations and you're going to serve. 
As all the women look at me like, you better believe it. <laughs> like all these eyebrows went up in the room right there. How many of you know though, out of my love for her, I want to serve her. But see, marriages go wrong when it's like, you're gonna, you are going to serve me. Try that one. <laughs> Let me know how it works for you. <laughs> it ain't going to work if you come in with that mentality. Because she didn't marry a slave master. She married a groom who loved her. But she didn't marry someone who was a slave driver. But see, out of our heart. You meet people. We meet people all the time. They're gift. They've got a grace. They're servant-hearted. Those people are some of the best people in the world, honestly. They have a gift for serving. They're just, they're the people that go around that you never see anything behind the scenes here on a Sunday morning that make it work. The envelopes that are in the seats every week, they don't go by them in the seats by themselves. I know. Some are, they actually, someone puts those in. The pens, all the little things, the bottles of water for worship team members, all that stuff. Right? It's angels. They are angels, trust me. <laughs> but here's the thing. They have a heart to serve. People serve in this ministry, but... I'm not their master. They have a heart to serve. I want us to understand this because I want us to grab this. Because some people are like, well, I'm so confused. Am I a child? Am I a king? Am I a servant? Am I a priest? Yeah. Yeah. You are. You're kings with hearts of servants. We got to get this. this. We have some healthy churches if we understand this. We're, we're supposed to be kings with hearts of servants. We're not supposed to be kings who sit up on our elevated throne and expect to be served. We're kings that serve. And this is so, so important that we understand this. We are. He looks at you. He said, you're kings. You're priests. I love one of his names. He's the king of? Kings. He's the king of? Kings. He's the king of? Kings. He called you a king and a priest. He's the king of kings. Whoo. The kingdom of God is family. We're not required to be slaves. We're friends. He doesn't look at you and say, my slave. He looks at you and says, oh, my friend. And I look back at him and say, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. I can't help it. I, I can't help it. I want you just to imagine with me if let's just imagine before we wrap it up here in a minute. I want you to imagine you're at some friend's house and your friends have a couple of adopted children. And you're walking by a room where the children are at, these these children that have been adopted. And imagine just if you heard them saying, I wonder if I wonder if I wonder if dad loves me. I wonder if I wonder if I mean 
I wonder if dad's going to stay around. I wonder if he's going to keep me. I want you to imagine hearing some of this from a kid with an adopted mindset. First thing you would think is, wow, what has happened that you would think that, right? But how many of you know that we've been adopted into the family of God? And we don't have to talk like, I hope he loves me. I hope, I hope my dad doesn't walk out on me, right? How can we ever get anywhere if that's how we view the Father? Because he's so good. I can. Thanks, Jesus. I can feel I'm like shaking up a lot of stuff in the room this morning. And that's okay. It's time to have a church that's confident in who their dad is. It's time to have a church who's confident in who they are. It's time to have a church that knows who they are and who he is. And we're not walking around like orphans. We're not rocking that song. We're not walking around like victims. I'm no victim. I'm no orphan. I'm not. Because my dad's good. He's so good. The enemy can't take away our position in Christ. All he can do is convince you of something else. He can't take my position. He can't take your position. He has no authority to do that. But here's the thing. You carry the authority. So if he can convince you to loan him your authority... Uh-oh. Then he's got it. He doesn't have any of his own. So he comes in and he begins to speak to you. He comes in and he begins to talk to you. And he be- you're, you're in worship and you're just, you're, you're sitting here worshiping the Lord. And, and he, he, he immediately just begins to, you know, why are you even here? He begins to speak and you're so good at that. Why are you even here? You know, you're, you're really, you're not, you're, you're not that great. Right? That's what he says. You're not that great. I mean, I, I heard how you, how you talked to your, your spouse last week. And he starts to begin to re... He just runs the reruns of your mistakes through your mind. He's just playing your, your top ten worst moments. Just running them, running them. And then you begin to think about them. Man, I did blow it. And then all of a sudden, he waits for this. Yeah, you're right. Because the moment that comes out, what you did is you took it and said, my authority, you can use it. And then we become the playground for the enemy. Because now he's got your authority. You see, he may have power. Look at it as a, as a police officer. He may have the power, which would be the gun, but he doesn't have the badge to use it, which is the authority. But, but he wants to get your badge. And I want to see a house, a group of people. I know this is just we jumped in the deep end today, but I want to see a group of people that they see God for who he is. 
but they see the enemy for who he is. And then you can see who you are. I'm not interested in performances and coming in and getting hyped up. We're interested in seeing children know who they are. That's, that's, that's it. If that's, I mean, if I die, I hope it's on my gravestone. He helped people know who they were in God. That's it. That's it. Could be two people. Could be 2,000 people. He helps people know who they are. Why? Because that is the stuff Paul was talking about when he said we can't just keep doing the basics, guys. We have to get further than this. What is further than this? It's Ephesians. It's who you are in Christ. Because then you can advance the kingdom. It's really hard to advance the kingdom if you think that the one who owns the kingdom hates you. Well, I'm going to advance the kingdom, but I think he doesn't like me. That's no fun. I mean, that's, that's hard to do because then you're back into that slave mindset, but I have to. And now we've lost the love. And love is a person. Love is powerful. That's where we get somewhere. And so we have to lean into the fact that he is good. Why do you think when that song, He's a Good, Good Father, came out, it exploded? Because church finally said, oh, that seems right. Then we sung it so much, no one can stand it anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's like but we need more of those songs to come out because we sung it. You're good, good father. Oh, my gosh. You know, you're singing this song, and it's like, wow. It makes sense. Instead of a song that's, I'm, I'm desperate that you'll actually care about me. That's an orphan song. A child doesn't sing that song. He said, you're good, good dad. It's who you are. And the enemy is so stuck on keeping us in an orphan mindset. You're not an orphan. If you've given your life to the Lord, you are not an orphan. You are a son. And you are no less of a son than me or any other son of God. And the same for the daughters of God. You're no less than any other daughter or any other son for that matter. Can I get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> so, we're sons and daughters. We're kings and priests. You are a king. Tell the person next to you, you're a king. Come on, tell them, tell them like you mean it. You're a king. <laughs> tell the person on the other side, now act like it. <laughs> act like a king. You're a king. You're a priest. He created you in his own image. He designed you to have fun like kids and live like kings. That's what we do when we come in here on a Sunday morning. That's why I love it. That's why I want to get in the presence because I get to just be a kid who's royalty. Ain't nobody messing with me. I'm royalty. My dad's good. And I can act foolish because I'm a child. Some of you will get this and just go crazy in worship when you figure it out that you're a child. Stand up with me. Jesus, we love you. Just sing that chorus now that we brought it up. Your good, good father, it's who you are. 
It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. This message. Probably one of the scariest messages to the kingdom of darkness. I have felt from the very moment I got here today, there have been more distractions against this thing, from microphones not working to whatever you want to call it, because the enemy is scared to death that you all find out that you are just like your dad. He's okay with a bunch of people that go to church that think that they've got nothing to offer and they just come worship dad who's really good. He's not scared of that. He's scared of when you become like the one you worship. Because when you become like the one you worship, you will demolish his kingdom. You will flip the city upside down. The disciples were untrained. This, this is what they called them. Untrained, uneducated men. It's a really nice way of saying they were dumb. That's really what they're saying. These are a bunch of dumb guys, and they are churning our city upside down. Why? Because they hung out with Jesus, and they knew how good he was, and they weren't afraid. That's what scares the enemy. That's what scares the enemy. So, Father, we thank you that we just get to call you Dad. We thank you that we just get to be sons and daughters in this room. We don't have to strive for it. We're not going to fall into the same enemy and the same tactics that, that have been used for ages. Of You have to obtain something through your works that he gave you through grace. I just want you to just say this. Say, I receive all that I am. Because he already created it in you. He put it there. I just have to receive it. I just receive all that you've put in me. I receive everything that you've done in my life. I love you, Jesus. Just close your eyes for a second throughout the room this morning. And I, I, I want to pray over a couple different things this morning. But first of all, if you're in the house and you say, this is just, I've, I'm, not even, I'm not even in relationship with the Lord. I haven't even taken the initiative just to come into a relationship with the Father. And that's this morning. What a better morning than a morning with a, his love is just radiating in the room. If that's you, say, I just need to make a decision this morning. I want to give my life. I want to give my life to the Father. I want to come into a relationship with the Father. If that's you, if there's anyone in the room, I want you just to raise your hand right now. Anyone at all. Thanks, Jesus. Okay. So everyone in here loves Jesus. Now, if this is, some of this is a challenge for you, and this is not what maybe you grew up hearing, or this has not been how you've 
perceive the Father, and it's a challenge for you, and you're just saying, see, there's this thing that I talked about last week, taught, and it's, it's a word that I really believe that we have messed up, and it's the word confess, because confess is just coming into agreement with what God's saying. Yeah. And so when God's speaking to a room, and there's something that happens in a corporate, a corporate moment when you say, I agree, God, I agree with what you're saying, that actually releases the grace to overcome it. So if you'd be honest enough, I believe there's a grace in your yes right here. If you say, this has been an area I've struggled in, and knowing who I am and seeing clearly who he is, I want you just to take that boldness, just put your hand up. Yeah, I figured it's cool all over the room. Just another moment. Raise your hand. Yeah. You see, as you're coming in right now, as you're raising your hand, you're saying, I agree, God, with what you're saying this morning. And now he's going to release the power through you to step into this experience. You can put your hand down. In Jesus' name, I pray over everybody in this room that just raised their hand. You're calling to them. He's calling to you right now to know him as that good father, to know him as someone who loves you, not to know him as, as from a perspective of a master, but to know him as someone who's a father. He's calling you in to know that. And right now, I release over you a grace to step into that. I release over some of you, whatever it is that maybe you grew up hearing one thing that was just, just beat you into the ground, possibly, but, but I, I speak that the Holy Spirit right now would fill you and lift you up so you can begin to see from a perspective you've never seen him before. Oh, I feel that. I release the Holy Spirit. I release the Holy Spirit right now to everyone who raised their hands specifically that he would elevate you to a place to be able to see the Father like you've never seen him before. I pray encounters over you even when you sleep in the night that he would come to you and he would speak to you in your dreams as you lay there that he would just come to you and speak to you and draw near to you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just waiting a second because I feel the Holy Spirit doing something. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. One of the things we've gotten more testimonies in than anything else is this right here. I want you to keep your eyes closed just to help with distractions. I want you to ask the Father how he sees you right now. Every time we do this, we hear an amazing testimony. Very simple. Just say, Father, how do you see me? And listen. Because some of you see yourself so differently than what the Father sees. Father, how do you see me? How do you see me? And when you see it, when you hear it, when you feel it, when it resonates in your spirit, what he's saying. And remember, if it's not good, it's not God. When you feel that, just say, that's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. 
Some of you, you're seeing royalty. That's who you are. Some of you are seeing just a child in the arms of a father. That's who you are. Some of you are seeing strength. That's who you are. Some of you are seeing boldness. That's who you are. We declare that's who you are. Come on, just say, that's who I am. That's who I am. There's a power in your declaration. You are reversing it right back on the enemy. Saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. I pray over you that you would, as you leave this place, and while I'm praying, I want to welcome the worship, I mean, not the worship team, the prayer team. The prayer team can come on up, and I'm going to pray over you, though. I pray over everyone in this room right now that this week would be a week of encounters and experience. That it would be a week filled with some of the greatest encounters you've ever had in your life with the Father. They'll come everywhere. They'll come, I'm telling you, they'll hit you in your car in the parking lot and just, just make your heart sensitive to Him. I release the revelation in this house. The revelation to begin to understand directly from the heart of the Father how good God is. Some of you are going to go and pray over it. You're not, I mean, just take it home and pray over it. And ask, Lord, give me a revelation of who you are. We're cleaning that mirror off so we can see him clearly. I bless you. I bless your homes. I feel, I feel a grace for just the peace. I don't know why, but I, I bless your homes with peace. Some of you, that's a high commodity right now. I bless your homes with peace. Peace and presence, they come together. I bless those of you that are traveling this upcoming week. I bless you with favor and presence would follow you everywhere you go. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.